The last two years have changed the way we eat, drink, and socialize. If you work in the food and beverage industry, it's time to think about upgrading your restaurant to a square point of sale system. A smart POS means you'll never miss a sale, can build customer relationships and loyalty, and ensure diners never order the wrong item with real-time menu syncing. Plus, it even helps you improve what happens in the kitchen. The future needs your restaurant. Get there with Square. Visit square.com forward slash ACAST. This episode of The Wire Stripped is dedicated to our Hamsterdam level patrons on patreon.com. Uh, patreon.com forward slash The Wire Stripped. They are Craig Dunphy, Claire Bailey, Calvin Bishop, Wayne Edge, Rachel Bolton, Stephen Gilseth, Dominic Tollen, Simon Wiebenes, Paul Simons, Richard Knoll, Donald Adea, Eric Rice, Marcy Mangum, Morgan Tanji, Anders Eriksson, Rasul Moat, Steve Toes, Paul Wallace, and Patrick Birch. If you guys want to join them, go to patreon.com forward slash the wire stripped or patreon.com and type in the wired stripped into the search field and you can find us and also dedicate some cold hard cash to the Ella Thompson Fund, which is what all these lovely people are doing. David never offered this. David never, ever offered a solution. All he's ever done was hold a mirror up to you and hopes that you will figure out what the solution is, you know? And having dialogues along these lines is, is one way to get to whatever, to find out what those solutions are. Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Kobe. And this is The Wire Stripped. It's the podcast where we watch HBO's The Wire episode by episode. Yeah, and you don't just hear from us, you hear from the cast, the crew, and you guys as well. And we'd love to hear from you, so there are many ways to contact us. Pick your favourite. Yeah, you can uh, go on Twitter or Instagram at The Wire Stripped, or you can email uh, at producers at thewirestripped.com. Yeah, thank you very much. And do listen out to other ways so you can contact us and we can hear your voices in the burner section, which comes about halfway through the episode. That's right. Uh, this episode is uh, episode 10. We're uh, near the end, guys. It's getting really juicy now. Uh, mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. one is called Reformation. And uh, we had a great chat about this uh, two years ago. Uh, so he- <laughs> here it is. <laughs> when you walk through the garden, you got to watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon. Walk the straight and narrow track When you walk with Jesus He's gonna save your soul Just gotta keep the devil Way down in the hole He got the fire and the fury Right, here we are. We are in uh, Judge Phelan's office. Uh, he's gone out. It's court is in session, so we've mm-hmm. snuck in to record a podcast. Yeah, um, there's a lot of books here and uh, books on how to avoid sexual harassment, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, don't, I, no, I think he's lacking in those books. He's lacking in those books. I think books. he needs to read those books. Yeah, they've still got the, still got the, like, the, um, uh, the, polis, the polythene cover. The, <laughs> there. That's it, yeah, yeah. He hasn't read them yet. Yeah. Man, this is, this is a different time, right? <laughs> True. So, I mean, what, what Kobe's alluding to, which we're, we're going to get into later, is the Judge Phylum's just casual sexual harassment of Rhonda Perlman, mm. to which she's just kind of just shrugs off because you forget that that's what 
life was for women 15 years ago um, largely um, it was just like accepting this institution of patriarchal uh oppression mm. and so yeah you just feel like if this was show was made nowadays she'd be like be it would be a plot where it, the episode would end with phylum like being fired or whatever yeah. or a major scandal with olivia pope yeah, uh, large, taking him down there'll be two large guys yeah. that come to his office we need to talk judge. <laughs> yeah there's been allegations um so, should we get into it with the Stansfield guys? Yeah, let's check in with uh, with Marlow and his crew. I need to stop calling the Stansfield, because that's Lisa Stansfield. Let's get into it with the Stansfield <laughs> organisation. <laughs> There's a war going on. Mm. Yeah, and we see, we kind of get we get a bird's eye perspective of the uh, of the war zone, don't we? From yeah, the, from these two guys coming out of the convenience store. It, well, before there's a few dead bodies, and we see yeah, Justin and Jamal uh, on the corner, shots are fired. They leg it. Naturally, good. Yeah. Um, they're just picking up like a Slim Jim or something. Yes, <laughs> Jesus. What's, <laughs> whatever, what's it? Whatever crap they're eating over there in Baltimore in the early thousands. And they um, then they come across a body of uh, someone else in the Mar- in the Stanfield organization. Uh, luckily, Snoop's on board. Snoop uh, drives yeah, drive, on, drive by. Yeah, but it's a drive by pickup, not a shooting. True. Yeah, drives by and saves our lives. Just to jump in there. And it just kind of shows where where they're at with the with the Stanfield organization at the moment. They're happy to exchange blows, guns for guns, bullets for bullets. And that culminates in Marlowe shooting Devon, who is the kind of honey trap that uh, Avon, the Barthel's true. Yeah, tried to. Brutal. So unexpected and Mm. cold. Yeah. Like Marlowe's got those shark eyes. Like he is. I've never seen him express any, any kind of expression. Of no. like joy or hate or it's just like listen, this, I'm a, I'm a I'm a sentient being. He's so good in this role mm. though. He's just chilling. He's like a Terminator, isn't uh, he? Yeah, like absolutely. You, you wouldn't be surprised if one of his arms just morphed into a knife <laughs> and they started stabbing 1, 000, her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, this Wolfie's fine, honey. <laughs> so dark. <laughs> um, and this is actually ties directly into the Barksdale side of things because when then we have. We have Stringer and Avon are talking together. Stringer's talking into Stringer's talking to Avon, trying to get him on board with the co-op and trying to get him on board with Marlow. Um, and sure. he's literally holding hand grenades. Yeah, <laughs> he's like he's Just like playing with him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever about the co-op sounds great, but look, have you seen my hand grenades? <laughs> I have actual hand grenades. And so like he's taking war to a whole new level. Check it out, Stringer. Oh, this shit got the kill range of like 50 meters. So now got this from some soldier coming back from wherever. Actually wants, he wants a full on He wants like, a real war. Like Rambo. Yeah, yeah. So Stringer, they're having, a, they're, having a head to, they're having a talk about it. And someone tells Avon that Marlo's killed Devon. And he just laughs. He's just like, oh shit. He's yeah, got, he's yeah. like, smart fucker. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, he's, it's again, it's Avon like admiring Marlowe. Yeah. Avon has more in common with Marlowe and respects him more than he does Stringer. But he does, absolutely. In so yeah, many yeah. ways. Yeah. Um, but I, I still find it dark. He's, he's laughing at someone's died. Yeah, it's horrible. But he's lost, pers- he's lost perspective totally. He's like, he's going the way of Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now. Like he's two steps it's away too far from, too far from gone. being in a shadowy corner <laughs> monologuing. 
<laughs> I can imagine that, actually. <laughs> Which Wood Harris would nail. He would absolutely destroy that. But this is, I mean, this, I, I love this kind of head-to-head with Stringer and, and Avon. Just trying to, the two sides of the same coin. They're both on the streets, both known each other for a while. Stringer's trying to pull them out there. Avon's not, not trying to pull them out there, but he has his way of doing things. And do, I don't know, do you get the impression that if Avon, if they manage to completely take over Baltimore from, from the kingpin, drug kingpin point of view, that Avon would be happy with the big apartments and everything that Stringer's trying to get them, quote unquote, legitimately. Do you think that he'd be happy with that? Or do you still think he wants no. some kind of toe in the game somehow with the, yeah, he yeah, wants, with the corners? He, it's his, he's addicted to the sport mm. isn't he yeah he, I guess so yeah it's like he doesn't want to become it's the thrill of the chase friend. he wants to play the game yeah yeah it, yeah exactly it's the chase he wants he wants the adrenaline and the action and the you know he's he's ne- in many ways he's never more alive than he is in this season Avon because mm. when we meet him in season one there is no war going on they're no. on the rise and they're kind of dominant and he's kind of placid in many ways but like Avon's like Avon comes to life in this season A because he's just come out of prison yep. so it's like he's kind of raring to go and hungry but he's you said it there he's laughing and like he's like got mutual respect and he's like looking at weapons and he's like he's in his element mm. this is what he's good at yeah um, and it's just not sustainable and he's not, but he's he's retreated into his own bubble and isn't listening to Stringer Bell or reality or or anyone, and it's it's can't last. And of course, this all culminates with String having to make a very difficult decision in what is a very beautifully directed moment in mm. the in the copy the copy shop. Or what's it called? The print print shop, print shop, copy know. shop, yeah, yeah, one of their, you know, one of their businesses, <laughs> one of, photocopying, yeah, one of the legit places. Um, yeah. I guess the, the final straw was when I should say Prop Joe tells Stringer that he's going, they're going to be kicked oh, yeah. out of the package yeah. um, if they don't, if he doesn't toe the line. So it rings, it rings the Western District police guys, police guys, the police cops, um, police cops, and then it gives like Shamrock some some legal documents to get to. To give to the lawyer Levy. Yeah. Um, not sure uh, at this And stage. then we kind of hear from Bunny yeah. what the, you know, we can connect the dots as to what, as to what he's done there, mm. you know, because he brings McNulty in Bunny and asks about an Avon Barksdale yeah. and says his name's on some paperwork. Yeah. So, you know, already we can kind of see the breadcrumb trail that, what that has done. laid down. Yeah. It's his own kind of bullet. It was always going to be something in the series because you can you can see it falling apart at various points. This is the voice of Andy Brassel, who is one of the hosts of the Football Ramble and on the Continent podcast, and is a huge fan of The Wire. Because they're, 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 so, they're so different. You know, represented yourself, man. Your, your name ringing out now that you done taken Marlowe down a notch or two, man. So why not quit while he's ahead? Just let me get this thing right, man. Then, you know, we get back to business as usual. They're going to cut us out, Avon. Prop Joe and them niggas, man, they took a vote. They're going to cut us out. We ain't going to have that dope. So even if we win, we lose because we ain't going to have no product to put in them fucking corners, B. I think this scene is a really good example of kind of how strong the writing is 
in the wire. This is not quite a producer Tom insert, but I am going to step in here to introduce this voice. This is another of our producers. This is Obi Joshua talking about the wire. Because everything plays out so slowly, you kind of always have this hope that these two will be able to kind of resolve their issues. Um, I mean, Stringer at his best is a problem solver and Avon at his best is fiercely loyal. But in this scene, you kind of realise that Stringer sees in Avon a problem he can't fix and Avon sees in Stringer a man he just can't be loyal to. Avon, look at you. Fucking shooting dope without a fucking needle right now, man. Getting high on a power trip, playing fucking soldier. Yo, you gotta sit back, man, and think about our business. What the fuck you want? Avon doesn't want to be not gangster. You know, that's his thing. Well, let's go. Let's go to Bunny in the Western. Yeah, so we get a great little scene here with Bunny sitting um, Carver down. Yeah. And kind of having a having a chat with him. So this is after the after Carver tried to well, he moved the body, but in a crap way. So it was like directly everyone knew that it was moved. It was just a bad idea. Yeah, it was never going to work. Um, Corbin says, "Yeah, cheers," but I need to have a chat with you. I, I still, I, I don't know. I can't get away from how Bunny is positioned as a copy. He, he seems at the forefront and he's trying to affect change he's trying to do things in a better way than the system currently is doing it he's not happy about just knocking heads and clearing corners for them to be filled up again as soon as the as soon as the car goes away um and he's trying to go back to the old school police style where there's a neighborhood um association and everyone would work with the police officers to get things done and he sends carver you know you're good you're loyal you've got a smart head in your shoulders but at the same time like no one works with you you've got no informants you've got no kind of support this is what you're lacking um and you can also see this with his police he's he's the commanding officer not commanding officer but he's got more uh rank than carver and all the rest of the knuckleheads but they're not going to support him in the way that carver's supporting colvin as well there's that side of things yeah um so i like that kind of like fatherly talking to for yeah, he's he's so bunny. you just lo- you just lo- wouldn't you love to have him as a boss? Mm. Oh yeah, I'd happily right? work for <laughs> just happily like, work for Bunny. Yeah, because he he not only he he's so insightful here. He mm. tells Carver all his good qualities and then highlights the things he's not good at. Yeah, which he needs to hear. And he's not. And basically, it comes down to like you said, it's not. He's not policing. You know, from Bunny's point of view, that's not police work. It's soldiering. And he he doesn't lay the blame at Carver's door either because Carver is a, a product of the the drug war mm-hmm. and he kind of says that at the end and this is you know this goes way back to Ronald and Nancy Reagan yeah in the eighties the war on drugs exactly yeah. that you know and th- this has become that sort of terminology like war soldiering it's no wonder Carver feels like he's out there having to it's it, it having to having an enemy and busting heads and yeah. all these things. And it's not about community. It's not about police work. And I love how Colvin so simply draws that distinction and sort of, you know, applies a nostalgia, rosy-eyed view to what 
you know things maybe used to be like in a perfect world or at least what they should be like yeah. and that's what's so good about bunny because he's a, he's an idea he's an idealist yes and he's trying to build some towards a utopia that kind of he can see and that's i guess that's where a lot of the strings were unraveling with with Amsterdam. he didn't he didn't foresee a lot of the things that had he spoken to the deacon before going into the Amsterdam idea that he could have tried to establish yeah um, so he had the idea of, yes, just legalise drugs, um, nothing else to think about. Okay, good. Yeah, that'll be fine. <laughs> yeah great. Um, I think, uh, yeah, that's it. But that's what's so good about him. He's, you're right, He's he didn't foresee and couldn't have foreseen these things because no, no, no. he doesn't have the knowledge or the experience yeah. because he's a visionary and a leader and he's he is both those things and he made this whole thing happen but could not... Uh, cannot achieve any of it without the support of other people yeah. but he has that network like he's saying to Carver he knows the deacon he knows the community mm-hmm. he's plugged in and we see it at every step in every one of these episodes when a present when a problem presents itself bunny is the bunny puts himself um as as a face sitting down in front of somebody yeah. trying to resolve it, whether it's talking to the old lady who was still living in the free zone mm-hmm. or whether it's talking to the lieutenants and addressing them as people or um, when there's a murder in the last episode and he sits everyone down and says, guys, you need to work with me here. Yeah. He doesn't, he never wants groups. to see him. Yeah, yeah sorry, it, it's talk, exactly. He's the, talking to the people and listening to them in the community groups and he's doing the same in the Comstat meeting. Yeah. He listens and hears and acts and that's why there's not enough people like if everyone was like bunny in it in every facet of all these institutions we wouldn't have the wire no. wherever our neighborhoods are uh, they are they are deliberately you know underserved in every kind of way and it results in a in a system of living that um, somehow the wire managed to to really crystallize we got to speak to the absolute legend and gentleman that is robert wisdom the man that brought bunny colvin to life and uh, that's why i think it also makes you know forever impact on on american society you know because uh uh we haven't had any but any any popular television show ever i want i don't care what you want to say i mean sopranos were interesting um you know deadwood blah 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 but but something about the wire as an examination of what we've created in America uh, and, and and exported around the world is uh, it's it's a devastating piece. God, I love Bunny. <laughs> this is, we get a bit of a tour through through the Amsterdam regions. The the reporter that's Kurt, that Herc eventually speaks to goes through Amsterdam and is like, I need to report this, Bunny manages to kind of stave him off by a week i'm not sure what that's achieving though um i think bunny knows this knows the game's up at this yeah. stage and he's just he's just delaying the inevitable i guess really. i guess he needs to know he needs to be the one that breaks the news i guess doesn't he yeah exactly he can't he can't let his superiors read about it in the newspaper no, that'll he be needs the, to that'll tell them. literally be the worst yeah um but uh, he's he plays a dangerous game here because he kind of straight up lies to that reporter yeah he he presents a lie that now now needs to be either unravelled or confirmed by his superior. Yeah, like he creates an extra little mess for <laughs> for, <laughs> for Burrell and them to deal with. 
Um, you gotta love it. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I absolutely do. I love how we go into, we go into the Comstat. This is one. Of the, this is a fantastic Comstat scene. Uh, we just we just focus on Bunny here. It's it's like the Hitchcock bomb under the table, isn't yeah. it? Like it's this is the suspense in the making. This we know it's coming. You know it's coming. You got Burrell. He's on fire. Rawls. We've just seen him um, in a different scene, which we'll talk about later on. But those two are like rabid dogs at Colvin. Initially pleased, but because Colvin is not giving like straight answers, these are all my corners. They're all clear. <laughs> Crime's down 14%. Rawls is like, yes, I know that. I can see that. But how the fuck are you doing it? Because if you're doing it, why can't we do it with, with everyone else? Oh, it's because, you're legal- it's because you're legalizing drugs. Get the fuck in my office. We need, to have a, we need to have a chat because this is not on. Major, I don't understand. The only time we can hold a drug corner is when we assign offices to stand there. Your slides don't suggest any concerted deployment on any corners. How were you able to Jesus Christ, you nit. Don't you see what he's done? He's legalized drugs. Actually, I elected to ignore them. You lost your fucking mind. He's lost his fucking mind. You, in my office. Now. Okay. That's it, gentlemen. Uh, Rolls is so good how... how Who's the other guy with Rolls and Burrell? The, the, anyway, there's a... The, I'm not sure there's a third, yeah. Third guy here is yeah. a more bureaucratic guy, but he just can't wrap his head around it. No. Uh, and then Rolls <laughs> just lays it down like, don't you see what he's done? He's legalized drugs. Like, it's it's <laughs> so beautiful. He sums it up in just one line. And this is this is, a mo- this is one of the moments you're waiting for in this season. Um, you know it's going to come. You know, you've, set, you've seen the, how comps that goes. And... Burrell's my office now <laughs> excellent um, and I love how they, then the dude gets that office and initially you know Rawls is trying to reason it out Burrell's kind of like how am I going to save my career kind of thing the third guy I don't know really what he's doing there um, I guess maybe you just need two deputies for his full major <laughs> have we even seen him before where did, where did he come from <laughs> um, Bunny kind of Talks his talks his way around it, but says, "Yeah, you know, it's still working, though." By the way, here's a bunch of envelopes saying, "I like the way he's legalized drugs, guys. <laughs> Why don't you let him keep on doing it?" Um, which then I love how Burrell then passes it on to the mayor. Yeah, he legalized drugs, but here's some letters. Um, yeah. I don't even think Burrell's even read those letters after he's, dismissing it. Yes, exactly. He says to Colvin, "Like, oh, you think that's gonna save our asses?" <laughs> and then he's like, "Oh, don't worry, there's letters. <laughs> there's, there's letters." I don't, do you think he's read those letters? They looked unopened. No, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, yeah, yeah. He's kept the same elastic band that <laughs> exactly, bought me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just handed it straight over to him. There's letters from no like, way. all these important people. Burrell doesn't care. No. Bunny read the letters. Yeah. Bunny read the letters and Royce read the folder with the stats and the 14% on it. He doesn't care about the letters. No. But he cares that voters wrote the letters. Yes. He doesn't care about the details. That's the thing, because he said yeah. there's um, important, there's a deacon there, there's... Blah, blah, blah. There's voters. Oh, hold on, voters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I love this moment where Royce, you know, he in, initially, Royce is like, what happened? Yeah, we're fucked. I can't believe you did this. Your, your ass is on the line now, mm. Burrell. Like, which is another indication of the sort of person Royce is. He doesn't, he's not about loyalty. Yeah. He's a, cut, he's cut th- cutthroat. Yeah. Um, but you see how his eyes light up at the numbers, the fourteen percent, and how it, how that can play. Yeah. And then his aide says, "Don't even think about it." <laughs> 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 we 
which is kind of oh that that's such a small little moment but just sums up the the problem with government mm. that the solution is there you know, or a a solution, a solution is a workable. solution. Yeah. yeah, that could be workable. And look what Bunny achieved. And it's not it's not an easy win. No. It's not a clean fix. And there's you know, we we saw all the things that can go wrong in a short period. But Bunny, look what Bunny managed to achieve by putting his mind to it. It's mm. like imagine if the resources of government were brought to bear on this problem to solve it rationally and in league you know, in league with or in conjunction with the the people who are who are selling the stuff. And or, it's and it's tied in with the fact that you have um it's the voters. It's the voters that got that got Mayor Royce's Yeah. Um like juices going. It's the only currency he knows. Yeah. Uh it's coming up for election. There's other people Carcetti, Tony Gray, vying for his blood and he's like, Oh actually this could be I could, this is spinnable. This is spinnable. Maybe I could. Let's just hold on here. Let me see if I can work this out. And I get. I know. I think one of the one of the main problems with politics. This is my political hat on, even though I've no clue. Nice hat. Yeah, it's good. Um, get it from Primark. <laughs> Primark political. <laughs> Primark political. <laughs> um, is that re-election thing? Is that re-election thing is super 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 important for yeah. for a lot of these a lot of these guys, and that's why. They will not take the chances. That's why they will not do the things, even though, even though they know they will make a difference. Because selfishly, I guess is, is the best word for it, they want to stay and remain in power. Um, and I wish that if that was removed, I think we'd see a lot of change um, made from the good of people's heart and people actually wanting to make change because they feel they're in a position to do so. So what you're suggesting is a benevolent dictator? Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Uh, I don't know. You got my vote. <laughs> I think it's we're now running into the 17th year of the Portuguese experiment. We did the same thing. They decriminalized personal possession to take crime out of the uh, equation. And it's been a revolution because they've emptied their prisons, they've reduced drug use, but and really importantly, they've reduced drug harms. This is Professor David Nutt. He's a neuropsychopharmacologist, which means he knows all about how drugs affect the body. But most importantly, he's a huge fan of The Wire. Now people are treated as human beings and actually get treatment if they've got a drug problem, rather than are just thrown back on the streets to commit more crime and to become drug dealers. They've got phenomenal evidence of the health value of this. And yet there's always some bloody right-wing politician that wants to close it down because he thinks they're going to get votes out of it, you know. And this is the problem. And, you know, The Wire showed it. It's about, you know, when you have an elected mayor who's got to be re-elected, he's going to get flack from, the, you know, the right-wing middle class if he allows Amsterdam to carry on, so he closes it down. And all, drug, the drug policy right back in the 1960s with Nixon's war on drugs it's all been driven by politics it's not been driven by health or by science or by anything other than the need to have people that you can hate so that you can get votes by hurting them it was an absurd idea you know to them as as it, as it was an absurd idea to everybody who heard it you know it's just like but it made a profound sense and it showed the the you know uh uh the disconnect 
between um, what's needed and what's mandated, you know, and that it was a secret for any extent of time tells you so much about uh, about the complexity of a city, you know, um, that that people that it never leaked out in in the upper echelons that this was happening because they're that disconnected from it. Okay, talking about votes, let's go to the politics. We have Terry and Karketi talking with some of their campaign guys about about Tony, about Tony Gray. Um, Tommy Karketi seems a bit reluctant at this point, doesn't he? He seems a bit like, ah, but he's my he's my boy from back in the way. Yeah, so they tell him that he needs to let Gray run. Yeah. Because he'll split the black vote with Royce. But I think that was always a point, though, wasn't it? But now, now it's the like the cold face of that, and he's got to let him run. He's got to let him run convincingly. So he's got to give him support to let him yeah. down later on. So it, it can't just be like, "Yeah, you run. Um, I can't help you, but you know, you run because he, you know, he knows that Tony Gray needs some help to get to a standing where they can be in a position to split the vote. It's a total backstab. It is. Yeah. Um, so brutal. But he knows he needs to. They need to do that if if he's going to actually make any any difference. Um, so it's kind. Of, I kind of. I'm glad Karketi has got a bit of. I don't know loyalty. A, in mo- some a way. modicum of of <laughs> of regret. Is it loyalty? <laughs> well, this is it. He's on the fence, isn't he? Mm. Because he is somebody who the show has presented to have. Um, to yeah, you're right. Loyalty. He has loyalty to his friend, and he's ethical and he tends to believe in these issues like he is i think he is he does believe that we need a better witness protection program mm-hmm. for instance and, and i think he is he was after um you know more cadets for burrell i yeah. think he is trying to effect change but while simultaneously using these tools to forward his political exactly. agenda yeah However, he's now on the fence, and like, and I and I think any good story about politics, you know, a politician faces this moment where they have to move the their morality compass or mm-hmm. their ethical goalposts or yeah. whatever cross uh, whatever metaphor you want to use. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, Teresa, his his campaign manager, tells him it's not personal; it's politics. Yeah. You live with it, or you lose. Um, which would make a great alternative epigraph, by the way. Another gr- uh, example of fine writing. It's, it's it, I mean, it's all splendid. It's just it, lovely. It's all splendid. Live, w- live with it or lose. Like, those, those are your two options. As in, I mean, what that tells us is you cannot win yeah. by being good. And also, they make the point that Tony Gray by himself wouldn't be able to win. Exactly. So he's got no yeah. chance. The only chance for any kind of change is if you stab him in the back and take the podium position. Yeah, um, and that's what and that's what all great tragedies um, involve: heroes making sacrifices and becoming villains. Mm. Well, not all of them, but <laughs> well, that, that's what's happening in this instance. Yeah. He's convincing himself of a greater good, which is himself and the changes he can effect in government. And he's seeing Tony as an egg that he needs to break along the way. Yeah. But then how many more eggs come up? Well, I'm sure we'll find out as we watch the show. <laughs> we will okay. do. Okay. The major case unit. Um, there's a lot that happens in this episode with these guys. Um, 
let's go back with Ronda and Daniels trying to get get up on the on the burners, trying to get ahead of the case of the burners. They've kind of worked out a way of getting some like getting the time down with the with the AT and T equivalent. I don't know what the what yeah, the four, comp- four days, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, down to four days. Yeah, but that means they need to get the affidavits like pre prepared ahead of time, and they go to see Judge Phelan. He's like, "You what? We this is this is less than probable cause." Um, and Ronda Perman uncrosses her legs, and Judge Phelan goes, "Oh, actually, yeah, let's let's try this. This sounds kind of fun." Um, yeah, it's basic instinct move. It is exactly, um, which is again interesting that she's you know she's using it. She's yeah she's she's using she's using his sort of sexual harassment of her to to her advantage. Mm. After that chat, permanent Daniel's chat with McNulty about what happens in there. McNulty's like, yeah, we need to get this going, um, and this is where. You, talked before about, about this line with McNulty saying uh, McNulty's like you're all a bunch of shitbags <laughs> he doesn't say you're all a bunch of shitbags <laughs> I wish that's what he said what but he, he said uh, no um, McNulty says oh he drew phylum oh he's a piece of shit yeah. um, and then Daniel says has the great line we're all pieces of shit when we're in your way McNulty exactly. <laughs> which is <laughs> so perfect yes because McNulty particularly in this season, is just like enemies with everyone yeah. who's on his side. <laughs> he doesn't seem to care. I mean, I, I kind of love the, the way that he, in previous episodes, uh, two episodes ago, when he discusses with uh, Brianna Bartsdale about about um, about Dee's death, and he just does it so callously. He just doesn't, doesn't really give a shit. But I can tell he's kind of got some, like, I think he's got an evil edge to how he's telling. He knows he's going to cause some ruckus. And this, you just see time and time again, he just he just prods and presses and he's, he's still a dick. He's ultimately a dick to like, everyone he's, he works with. Yeah. He likes causing mayhem and mischief, mm. doesn't he? Yeah. But he's got his, his intentions are always good mm. and in a way. Like his, his dogged determination to... He's so single-minded that it makes him impossible to work with and it makes him... It makes him the best person. The best, yeah, the yeah. kind of the best person to work with. We got one. His grandmother. Looking for me. Look, boy, there's no reason to leave your clothes in the washing. How many damn times do I have to tell you? Hey, Mimo, I'm sorry. I just forgot, okay? But I did pick up the laundry soap. I picked it up. Laundry soap, that's definitely a code. <laughs> no, let's listen to an intercept we made of Bodie Broders when we were up on those payphones a couple of years back. Same voice, no question. I'll let the judge know. Reference the voice comparison in the court report. We're up. <laughs> we get up on on Bodie. We hear Bodie's voice on a on a on, on a call. Yeah, their the first their first one. They they're yeah. up on a burner phone. Brilliant. So this is a big success. Brilliant. Uh, but then it dies. Like <laughs> yeah, almost as soon as it happens. Yeah, yeah, they ditch the phones. So I mean, it's, and this is a cycle that's going to happen time and time again. And together which I think, you know, this is great. Um, we see Freeman and McNulty get, put their heads together and think of like a way of actually getting the, getting up in these burners and they think, right, we need to pre... Pre-wiretap the phones. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of an elegant solution. It is. If only they can get them into the hands of the, of the guys. And of course, we've had Sidner, tra- Sidner trailing them and also uh, Kima and McNulty trailing Bernard and Squeak. 
and they're just like, how do I get this? How do I get these phones into into their hands? Uh, and up steps. Cool, Lester Smooth. Undercover. Oh, <laughs> I love. Yeah. I love when he goes undercover. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, reading numbers, no problem. Yeah, yeah. It's just great. Um, you just believe him as a, as a con artist in a previous yeah. life. It's just it's just great. And Bubbles, yeah, Bubbles reconnects with Squeak. He seems super happy to meet with Squeak. I love I love how Keen was like Bubbles. Is there anyone in these projects yeah, you don't, don't know? know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, I love how the, Bubbles has had some good scenes in this season, which we haven't really talked about. But um, it's been it's dynamite in this episode. Oh, he's wonderful here. The um, and I love how, but like. Bubbles and Kima mm. doing this is a shining example of Bunny's point from earlier in the episode about informants yes. and the community and the police work. Yes. Right? Because you've got a good CI who knows Squeak, mm-hmm. uh, who's part of the community, yeah. um, who, who knows Bernard, and then you're using your information, which is what the major crimes unit deals in. It's all they deal in yeah. is information. And that's how you that's how you solve a problem or solve a crime. I was a superstroke on the pool circuit in the early days, but mostly it was pickpocketing and short cons. I did the long-distance access card heist before cell phones got popular. Crip numbers? Yeah, our favorite airports, yeah. Can you still read numbers? Whoa, 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 what's up with this? Man think I was born to bad merchandise? Because that's what he think. We could just beat feet right now. Damn, Bernard, why you acting all CIA and shit? We trying to make money here. If you had to answer the people I do, your ass would be damn more psychosis too. That's all I'm saying. I appreciate caution. Because I'm hanging out here, too. Give it a go. Use a cell phone. I mean, Squeak wasn't paying attention. See, now, that's another weird place uh, me and Squeak differ. Squeak didn't pay that big of attention to details. We got her. We got Mia Arnis. This is Mia Arnis. She plays Squeak. You know, she just wanted to get the thing done so she could get back to being with her man. You know, and in that and in her haste, you know... She didn't think, hey, I could be being set up. I just came home not too long. You know, I, I, she just, that, um, it's par for the course for Squeak. And then, you know, how Squeak got down and, you know, she saw this opportunity that she thought was going to be just the greatest thing since sliced bread. Oh, man, people people were mad at my character because they, I got everyone locked up. They were like, why'd you listen to that girl? Give it up for Melvin Jackson Jr., everybody. He plays Bernard in The Wire. And they were just like, man, you should have got rid of her. And some people were like, you should have been with me. You know, it's just like people had that, that intake. And it's like, you know, it was, it's funny because when you meet you know other celebrities, I remember meeting uh, Jermaine Dupri and he was just like, man, we were mad at your character. Like he, oh, this is a dude that was getting cell phones. And it was like, everyone just started chiming in. And they was like, man, we was mad at you, man, but you did a good job. And that's just like, when you uh, do a great job when people don't like you, it's it's kind of a you know a rewarding uh, moment. So I mean, well, basically Freeman's Freeman's selling um, Bernard and Squeak pre wiretapped phones mm-hmm. at, at cost, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like how can you pass up that offer? Yeah, um, <laughs> and yeah, we've I mean we've seen the relationship between Bernard and Squeak. Um, it's fraught, and Squeak <laughs> yeah, yeah to say the least. Squeak's always trying to up on it to say like, why are we spending so much time in the car? Let's get. A, let's get a better car. B, let's just buy all the phones in one go and we can just hang out together and it's still the same shit. I love these two. Um, and Ben, I was like, actually, we can we can do something here. We can actually, let's, yeah, let's try it out. They're like Abbott and Costello. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually all, I was all team squeak um, up until she walked across that road before she met Bubbles. Yeah. 
and drop that big old crisp packet right in the yeah, middle you, of the you know, just pick it fucking up. road. Just take it into your car. Yeah, you're right next to your car, woman. Good Lord. Unbelievable. I, I, I thought Kim was going to write her up on that. <laughs> she, yeah, I know. I, if I was in Kim's shoes, I wouldn't have been able to let that slide. Yeah, like, I would have blown the whole operation. <laughs> I would have tr- tr- switched on the lights immediately. <laughs> The last two years have changed the way we eat, drink, and socialize. If you work in the food and beverage industry, it's time to think about upgrading your restaurant to a square point-of-sale system. A smart POS means you'll never miss a sale, can build customer relationships and loyalty, and ensure diners never order the wrong item with real-time menu syncing. Plus, it even helps you improve what happens in the kitchen. The future needs your restaurant. Get there with Square. Visit square.com forward slash ACAST. The thing that sticks out as being particularly interesting about Series 3 and the Stringer storyline, although he is aware that he wants to move on to a more business-like approach to to the game, the viewer is much more aware of what that actually means because we've seen what the Greeks were doing in Series 2 and although they still had to call on significant violence to play a role in their business, uh, see Sergei, their day-to-day operations and um, outlook on the game were much closer to uh, Stringer's ideal business model than Stringer's deals with Prop Joe and the co-op could ever hope to be. The viewer, or viewers who've seen series two, are aware of what a pure business approach to the game looks like. And it's much closer to the import-export business of the Greeks with occasional serious violence than it is the on-street retail presence of the um, B&B Enterprise operations. This obviously comes to a head towards the end of the series when Avon points out to Stringer just how little he understands and how far away from being able to do what he wants he is. And thank you very much for the burner message there. If you want your voice to be heard in burner, you can do so very easily. First of all, you can find our WhatsApp burner number. Go to our Instagram or Twitter. We are at The Wire Stripped. And our phone number is just there. Send us a message. Send us a voice memo. 30 seconds or less. And you could be featured in the next episode. Yeah, and this week, uh, the question we want to know is, are you Team String or Team Avon? And that why? That is a good question. That's yes. a good question. What are, what are you, Kofi? <sighs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a hard one to answer. It's a hard. It is a hard one. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna reserve judgment until later on. I think because yeah, they're, they're kind of both right. Anyway, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, you, you've heard enough of us. Let's hear. You want to hear from someone else? So send us exactly. in your messages. Um, and if you want to get to the top of that queue, yes. uh, you can do so by going to our Patreon page, patreoncom forward slash thewirestripped where you get access to rewards such as priority burner access. And what else, Kobe? 
Yeah, you also get early access to our episodes and uh, you get to hear the full length interviews from the cast and the crew. So what you hear in the standard feeds, in the standard episodes are little snippets, but we'll give you the whole big fat chunk interview so you can hear the actors and the cast and the crew and the um, producers going into length about The Wire and other stuff that they want to talk about to us. That's right. And all the money we're earning over there, we are donating to the Ella Thompson Fund. It's mm. a Baltimore charity that is supported by the cast and crew of The Wire. And they uh, provide recreational opportunities for, for children in, in the neighborhoods that need it most. And it's a, an awesome charity. Yeah, absolutely. So do go follow us there, guys. Go to patreon.com forward slash The Wire Stripped or go to patreon.com and type in The Wire Stripped and you will find us there. I want to take a second to give a shout out to our co-op level patron members uh, that have joined us since last week. They are Dan Solo, Steve Berger, Cole Bruins and Dino. All right, let's talk about Brother Mazone. He's mm. back. Yeah, him and Lamar. Yeah, they've rolled back into Baltimore to try and find Omar. And the Harper's Bazaar. Yeah. Magazines. <laughs> yeah, his <laughs> sub- sub- subscription <laughs> ran out. Um, so, so Muzone sends Lamar on a mission to go to every gay bar in town mm. until he finds Omar. And yeah. they kind of play this for laughs a little bit mm. because Muzone calls out that you are, you are clearly the most homophobic person yeah. in the world or which, viscerally homophobic. Which means you could be conflicted, which means you could be closeted. Yeah. Yeah, basically. It's just quite genius. I love how his mind works. Here. Uh, yeah. yeah. You're right when you say I need to learn more discipline. But this... You could do this better. You're the perfect bait, Lamar. They'll see you as conflicted. Your homophobia is so visceral. You see that? I ain't even stepped inside the joint yet, and you calling me a cocksucker already. <laughs> yeah. And also, I just think it was the writers <laughs> having fun, too. <laughs> At Andre's expense, <laughs> they were writing that scene. <laughs> it was very funny. We wanted brother, so we got him. This is Michael Potts. He plays Brother Muzone. <laughs> he conflicted. Um, yeah, that was a very funny scene. And, and Brother Muzone, of course, has a sense of humor. He does. It is dark, but it is a sense of humor. So there was a purpose to sending him in there because he would he would stand out like a sore thumb. And so it's really uncomfortable straight guy. Not very bright is in a gay bar throwing around Omar's name. He's going to. He's going to attract some attention. Look, friend, I ain't sure you want to be around here, and I'm damn sure we're getting tired of having you. That plain enough? I should know by now, and I don't want to be around a bunch of cocksucking faggots. But I ain't gonna stop coming around so I run up on Omar. You might want to get the word out. For the last time, I don't know him. Then I'm back tomorrow. It's perfect bait. Um... And he just, yes, yeah, sends him, marches him into into the gay bars. I don't, we don't know what kind of time period has passed, but we see it, it feels like a lot. It's implied it was, he goes into a lot of gay bars. Yeah, I don't know how many there are in Baltimore, but he goes into the same one multiple times to the extent that the the main bar guys like, yeah, dude, you again? Yeah, what, are you, what yeah. are you doing here? And it's kind of, I don't know, is it distasteful in a way? You get, like you say, it's played for humor, but it's it's also a bit harsh. You just see him abusing these gay guys in in once he goes into into the club he's just abusing them and um, up until this point you have stringer and like those guys you know, calling uh calling omar like a cocksucker but then generally omar's just seen is, is you know he's 
seen as just someone else who happens to be gay. It's not like a, a, a bone of contention, really. And this is the first time you're like, for me, I felt like, oh, this is, I guess I could see why they're going after him this way because he's gay. He might have been a gay bar. That's, you know, as good a lead as any, maybe. But mm. it's still like, did it have to be this way in a way? Well, he doesn't really, Lamar doesn't really do much in there. Oh, no, no, he, do, he does kind of, he smashes a bottle or he something. in one of the like, Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Hey, why are you coming up behind me like that? As if like. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a, he's a blatant homophobe. Yeah. and But he, he doesn't actually, he, he's just like someone there with a job to do that he doesn't want to do. Yeah, he doesn't I guess actually so. beat up on anyone or no. anything or be extremely horrible. But obviously the fact that he's a homophobe is quite distasteful yeah. as it is. Um, but then Dante spots him mm-hmm. asking about Omar and decides to follow him out to the car and then gets bashed up on behind by um, Brother Mazzone who drops, drops us some sort of another comic book villain line. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what it was, but it was basically like, like Dante's like, I think I can help you with your problem. And then he goes, boom, I'm sure you can. <laughs> I can't, sorry, I've said before, I can't buy Brother Mazzone as a character in the wire he's just it's like he stepped out of another show sure it's like a yeah. it's like a, a marvel um tv universe yeah. he even like drops, kind he's of thing. dropping like horatio from csi miami lines <laughs> even when he comes in even when he comes back to baltimore in, in in the cold open he may as well like be putting on sunglasses and be saying i'm about to catch me some omar <laughs> wow! i thought i thought dante's approaching lamar was like dumb in the way he did that I was going to creep yeah. up behind him. What was um, his plan? I don't know. Yeah. I, I, it, it makes He's no a sense. stick-up guy. <laughs> he should know I mean, better. That's exactly what, obviously, yeah. uh, Lamar and Brother Muzan wanted, but w- that makes no sense. He, Omar's taught him how to do this. Yeah. How to be, like, cautious. And he's just come up with a gun. I guess, I don't know, maybe he's, he's seeing, like, easy prey, but it's still like, oh, Dante, what are you doing, you idiot? You don't got the skills. No. Um, but interesting side note, mm-hmm. we do get a very quick glimpse of Rawls yeah. in a gay bar. Yes. Yeah. And this this one shot, which lasts less than five seconds. So I know people who miss this. Really? Um, and this one shot is like, wait, what? And when you speak to fans of the Y afterwards, it's like, oh, but that scene with Rawls in a gay bar, this is like... It's such, yeah, what, such a what? beautiful incidental and con- like just adds so much texture to his character. Yeah, to his yeah. character. Um, without, we, we, look, we, we won't discuss it anymore. Let's, let's hear from John Doman himself who told us about this scene. It came out of the blue. Uh, I remember I arrived on the set one morning and the, uh, one of the ADs came running up to me with this big grin on his face saying, have you seen the script for the next episode? And I said, no. He started laughing and Ed Burns was sitting there and I saw Ed Burns' head pop up quickly and he come rushing over and said, John, uh, we need to talk. So he, he took me into one of the offices there on the set and he explained to me what they were thinking about doing. He said, well, we want to get your opinion on this and now, this is what we're thinking about doing, and it's the gay bar, and we're not sure we're going to use it, but uh, we want to shoot it just to have it. And uh, how do you feel about it? <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, doesn't make a goddamn bit of difference what I think about this. <laughs> if they want to do it, they're going to do it. 
So I thought, well, the best thing to do is just embrace the whole idea. So I said, yeah, I love it. It's great. Shows another whole side of the character. Why not? Let's do it. So, uh, so we shoot it. And uh, so then I'm thinking, okay, what have I gotten into now? This could go in some very freaky directions. And I'm anxiously awaiting the next script. And the next script came out. Nothing, didn't touch it at all. And the following script came out, still nothing. Finally, the third script down the way came, and still nothing. Now, I, I had gone in my head through all the possible scenarios that could take place. Some of them could have been very embarrassing. And uh, so I played all that through, and now I'm like, we got to do something with so I went to David one day on the set. I said, David, you know this whole gay thing? I said, uh, I just want you to know I'm up for anything, whatever you want to do. <laughs> and he kind of looked at me like I was nuts and just kind of nodded his head and walked off. Didn't say a word. And they never touched it again, And it, which turned out to be an absolutely brilliant move on his part as far as I'm concerned. They just planted the seed. All right, let's pop down to the gym mm. and talk to Cuddy. He's finally got his gym going. He just needs some kids. <laughs> <laughs> needs some people to box. Um, yeah, so he goes back to Amsterdam because that's where you get boxers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's where they are. Um, and then we can, yeah, um, Carver's there. Carver seems to be having a fucking whale of a time in Amsterdam. Well, I like this because we get, this is, after our earlier scene with Carver and Bunny, mm. where he gets the lecture about yeah. policing and the community, and then it's kind of cut to like he's there with these kids commentating on their baseball, and he's got like a whole system going where he's got a sin bin. Yeah, and I'm like, this is kind of beautiful. It's like a little mini character arc for Carver in just one episode. But he's also playing quarterback. He's like, go long. Yeah. It's, uh, he's loving it. Um, it's kind of nice, isn't it? It is. And this is a very different perspective of Amsterdam than we saw than through Bubble's eyes a few episodes yeah, ago, yeah. which is interesting. So this is a nice kind of serene. This is the kind of utopia that uh, Colvin wanted. Yeah. The police are there just to make sure things are okay. Uh, you know, interact with the local community. And yeah, that's but look at look at all these young the young hoppers they'd be, well they they'd be in the line of fire yeah. out there, you know here they're playing basketball with the cops. And it's kind of beautiful. And Cuddy comes up and asks Carver for advice as to how to get the kids over. Yeah, um, but we get Carver given yes those kids in the sin bin in the naughty step. <laughs> Send them to the boxing gym. They they could use your help. And like it's a bit of a weird scene about how. Uh, how Cutty shows him how good a boxer he is. It's look, I'll be honest, this whole the whole plot in this episode is borderline cheesy, right? <laughs> it is, yeah. Right? It's like it's one bad step away from being like dangerous minds or or <laughs> what, like why is Michelle fine? Coolio Co- yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> like Coolio's gonna break into Gangster's Paradise That's any minute now. Uh but Chad Coleman is kind of so consistent. Um, with the pathos and the and the belief that mm-hmm. he kind he kind of sells it, and the kids kind of sell it as well. Yeah. But I mean, it, it is kind of dangerous territory when you when you come in, like in terms of this is a well trodden cliche, the sort of mentor trying to um, 
help street kids, yeah. you know, find their way. It's Sister Act 2, back in the habit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, it's, I felt I felt gutted for him in a way. And we and we kind of see this at the start of the season as well, where they're trying to populate Amsterdam. They're like, I'm trying to help you guys out. Just come here and I'll help you out. And that's what happens. The cut is like, I'm going to try and help you guys out, get you off the streets a bit, give you some kind of skills. Um, and to be fair to his credit, you know, obviously it doesn't go right the first time, but he does come back and say, I don't know how to do this. Um, yeah. I'm shit at this, but you know, if you're willing to give me another shot. Um, and that's, I think it's the guys that we see at the start, just in the mall. I think it's the same guys we see at the start of the episode that are having the fights who come yeah, to the gym. Yeah, they come the back. Place. Yeah. It's sweet, yeah, isn't it? It's, it is. It's, it's, it's really nice. Right, that's all from us this week. <laughs> Next week, it's episode 11. It's middle ground. You know what mm. happens if you've seen it before. <laughs> we if won't you know say. what's happening, you know what's... Yeah, I mean, this is... <laughs> I, I, I don't need to say anymore. You know what's Kobe, happening. Kobe's speechless. It's been 20 years. He's still not over it. <laughs> Uh, anyway that's coming up uh, in the meantime if you want to contact us you can do it uh, at our social uh, accounts Twitter Instagram Facebook at the wire stripped uh, or you can email us burner at the wire com or producers at the wire com. yeah thank you very much we do love hearing from you guys uh, before we go just want to say a massive thanks to a lot of the people who helped us get where we are now so sam and martin from the song by song podcast uh the version of way down in the hole that's playing right now that's those guys yes and thanks to uh simon devro uh, also known as uh, at devs uh, noodles who did the season three artwork for us yeah cheers obi joshua as well for production support and research and kicking us into shape week by week that's right and uh same goes for uh, ben williams who laid the groundwork for us this season uh, for all his production support and editing and of course to tom producer tom t-bone aka the voice of reason that you hear sometimes when we make the stupid mistakes uh thank you very much tom wally for your awesomeness i'm surprised we don't hear from him more often i think I, I, <laughs> every five minutes i would have thought <laughs> <laughs> thanks tom and thanks everyone for listening we'll see you next week oh we'll god i'm nervous week. You just heard a stripped media production. The last two years have changed the way we eat, drink, and socialize. If you work in the food and beverage industry, it's time to think about upgrading your restaurant to a square point of sale system. A smart POS means you'll never miss a sale, can build customer relationships and loyalty, and ensure diners never order the wrong item with real-time menu syncing. Plus, it even helps you improve what happens in the kitchen. The future needs your restaurant. Get there with Square. Visit square.com slash ACAST.